What's up, party people? Are you ready to make some noise? Are you ready to get jiggy with it and all the other fun cliches? Welcome to the Sneaky Emu. This is episode number 60, and I am glad you're here. Mom, thanks for listening. We're going to call today um, God's Heart, Your Heart, and a Not-So-New Understanding. Yeah, I like that. Episode number 60, and God's Heart, Your Heart, a Not-So-New Understanding. Um, oh, by the way, Sneaky Emu is a place where we want to discover the wonder of God, the beauty of the world, that sometimes we fail to see or occasionally overlook. That's what we're doing. So, I hope today finds you well. I hope that you are living your best life. I hope that you are enjoying the Olympics that only happens every four years. The Winter Olympics, that is. Every four years. And, you know, what I was thinking about watching the Olympics was, does anybody care? (laughs) Not just that. I know people care. Does anybody care about these sports throughout the rest of the years between the Olympic events? (laughs) I mean, unless you're like doing it or in that small community, but does the bulk of America or the world care about the biathlon when it's not the Olympics? I mean, the only reason I watched the biathlon is because it was highlighted in the Olympics. Or what about the skeleton? Does anybody watch that when it's not the Olympics? I don't know. Just curious. Anyways, what are we talking about? Yes, God's heart, your heart, and a not-so-new understanding. So, uh, oh, one last thing before I get going. The uh, A couple episodes ago, I, I did the thing about, um, I was telling you about my brother's neighbor, Tony, who is really awesome. My brother... Um, was he 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 let Tony listen to it to the podcast and it was really awesome and I was really touched and moved by his response that he didn't think I was incredibly uh incredibly stupid he thought <laughs> he thought he thought it was okay he thought it was pretty decent and in fact he even went and shared it on his Facebook yeah at, oh let me see let me look up real quick because he said the kindest thing. My my brother had to show him how to do it, but um, it was like a really cool kind of thing. Let's see here. Let me look. He said, uh, so he like forwarded it from, he shared it from uh, Spotify onto his Facebook. He said, it's things like this that make life worth living. Thank you, my 10-minute friend forever. Oh, isn't that sweet? That made my day. Made my Made my whole day. Okay, now back to it. Back to the important things we need to talk about today. So a buddy of mine recommended a book. I get book recommendations from time to time. Sometimes I get really interested. Sometimes I'm not interested at all. Sometimes I listen or uh, read them out of guilt. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I'm surprised and really get into it. Sometimes I roll my eyes when I start reading or listening to it. I did have a another book recommended. Maybe I should talk about that at some point too. Called um, Oh The Heart The Impossible First. Oh man. That's really interesting. It's about a guy who crosses the 
uh, is it Antarctica? Something like that. Like with he, he makes the first uh, self-powered, un, unsupported uh, cross of Antarctica. I, I don't. That's not the exact term. So basically, he's by himself. He has a sled that he pulls with a harness, and he's not allowed to get like aid. He's not allowed to get something dropped off to him, or if he runs out of supplies, he has to pull everything that he's taking, and then he has to do it himself. Right? He can't. He can't like have dogs or whatever. It's just him pulling a sled for I forget how many days. But man, it's an incredible story. This guy's journey. It's a well-written book. I got caught up in that one, and that one was unexpected. A guy recommended it to me. I was like, "Okay, sounds okay, whatever." But it was really, really good. So you know, never judge a book by its cover, and never judge a recommendation by, I don't know, something else. <laughs> uh, so this book is is a by a guy that I like, who I I haven't really read before. I've heard him on some podcasts. Uh, his name is Bradley Jerzak, uh, and the book is called A More Christ-Like Word. It's reading the scripture the Emmaus way, which is kind of like, I guess, his kind of like, you know, his lens through he reads stuff. Um, let's see. Here, here's the, the, the note on the back. In A More Christ-Like Word, author and theologian Bradley Jerzak offers a clarifying and freeing path forward, inviting us to a better and more ancient way to read the scriptures. He calls this path the Emmaus way because it focuses on Jesus Christ as the final word of God. It demonstrates how all of scripture by design points to Jesus who reveals the true nature of the Father. Okay, so that's that's the setup for the book and it's it's you know it's it's a he's a scholar, he he's he's a deep thinker, he's smarter than I could ever hope to be and I'm just uh picking up the crumbs off of his table with this one but uh, and there's so much about this book that just has been um, been so great. It's like this book for me so far has been, it's like I had this framework of, of little bits and pieces of things I've been putting together over the past few years. And this, uh, it's like I was forming um, the muscles and the uh, ligaments of a body. And then he just came in with this book and put in like the bone structure. <laughs> so. So it's like, man, it's hit me in a good spot. But there's there's one little bit that uh, I was getting through the other day, and I thought, oh, this is so great. Um, there's a lot of great stuff, but I need to share this with you guys uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, one, because I think it will help to uh, it will help us. <laughs> this whole book is about helping us to see things better uh, as we read the scripture. And he addresses a lot of the hard things that people wrestle with when it comes to scripture. Uh, and this bit is about how we've come to misunderstand the heart of God and the heart of humans. And 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 he also talks about like um, how we're to understand God's wrath, but I don't know if we'll get into that because it gets a bit more complex. So I want to, I'm going to like read, talk through this. It's like one or two pages here because this to me has been, it's been a bit of a, a breath of fresh air. You know, I, I feel like I've, I've let go of a, a lot of things uh, uh, some time ago and uh, I'm in a much 
better place when it comes to how I think of God now than I was a couple years ago. And this is kind of like that supporting, it was like an affirmation, a supporting, a, a fresh a fresh breeze that like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the good stuff. So he, the whole premise is about reading the scripture through a, uh, I think, I don't know if it was Pete Inns or somebody that came up with the, it's called Christotelic, uh, Christotelic understanding of, 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 of the scripture. Yeah, Christ is the final word, right? Uh, telic, teleos is the word for completion. Uh, this idea that everything is pointing to Christ. And what you come to see when you begin to think of the scripture through this way is that like a lot of our thoughts about the divine, about who God is and the importance of Jesus and what it is that we are supposed to be doing here in this life and what it means to be a human. And a good bit of that is actually kind of off. And the reason it's off is because we've we don't have the best way of sorting through some of the difficulties of scripture. And so this book has been really great about um kind of helping to reorient us to a better way to read. So okay, let's start with uh God's heart. How we think of God, how we understand God. Um okay, so this is like chapter something see here in case you want to go get it um and and sort through it this is chapter five called before we open the scrolls preconditions for reading so he talks about how we have to put the gospel like the idea of christ being the word before the translation as in when we read a particular version of the Bible, we have to navigate the translation with the thought of Christ first. And what we know of Christ has to take precedent over, has to take priority over the translation of the scripture itself, if that makes sense. So he says this, um, he says, I begin with Exhibit A. This is The section is called God's Heart, to crush or to cure. I begin with Exhibit A from Isaiah 53, that famous chapter that prefigures the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Isaiah 53 in the KJV, the NIV, and the Septuagint. Now, one of the things that he, he, he kind of keeps highlighting is uh, the Jewish understanding of the scriptures, which is what most people call the Old Testament. Um, but what Jesus and most of the Jews at that time would simply call the scriptures because they don't have the New Testament as we know it. And so the Septuagint then is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Okay, so the Hebrew Bible was, was written in Hebrew. <laughs> Surprise. was written in Hebrew. And then uh the then it got translated into greek later on and that version is called the septuagint so as it's translated into the greek text the people that were translating from the hebrew to the greek 
would have a better understanding and a clearer picture of these scriptures. Okay, so let's look at Isaiah 53 in the KJV, the NIV, and the Septuagint. Uh, also, sometimes, just in case you're ever looking around for this sort of stuff, the Septuagint, you know, like when you're looking at ver different versions of the Bible, the, um, the acronym or whatever for it is like LXX. So KJV, NIV, and the LXX. That's the Septuagint. So the King James Version of Isaiah 53 says this. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Right? This is what we, uh, what most people see as uh, the foreshadowing. It's, it's talking about the Christ, even though in Isaiah the Christ would not have come yet. The NIV says it this way. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Septuagint, on the other hand, says it this way. The Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the original Hebrew text. The Lord wishes to cleanse him of his wound. Oh, okay. So do you see the difference there? King James Version. It, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. The NIV, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. These two seem to fall in line with how many people think of God when it comes to the idea of God's wrath and God's punishment of sin and how God had to punish the Son in order to uh, appease the wrath so that we didn't receive the wrath. So we thank Jesus for dying on the cross to take, right? That's, this is part of where we come to these thoughts because of stuff like this. But what the version before all these versions says, the Septuagint, says the Lord wishes to cleanse him of his wounds. All right, so now back to the book. He says, the first two versions depict God fulfilling his will and apparently even being pleased by crushing or bruising the suffering servant. This may serve, as, this may serve the vision of penal substitutionary atonement but it's a galaxy away from the nature of God revealed in Jesus. Indeed, the New Testament authors never use any part of Isaiah 53 to teach or imply that God the Father was punishing the Son. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, hot take right here. Hot take. Hot mic, hot take. He's saying this concept, this idea that God had to punish the Son in order to offer forgiveness isn't what the original scriptures are really pointing to, and it's not what the, what the New Testament authors, it's not how the New Testament authors would have understood this passage to read. It's not how they would have understood and thought of God. Okay, The Septuagint reads and translates the, the Hebrew text differently, dramatically so. In translating the word and rendering it, the word rendered bruise or crush in other translations, they use the Greek word uh, katharisai. Katharisai. Let's go with that. Which the New Testament uses many times for Jesus' ministry of healing. It, its literal meaning is to cleanse or to purify with healing connotations, as when Jesus cleansed the leper in Matthew 8 3. Do you see this? I mean, this is pretty crazy. So, where some of these translations translate this word 
um, into bruise or crush. The word that's rendered is bruise or crush. The, the Greek New Testament authors translate this as the same word that's used in Jesus' ministry for his ministry of healing. This word that some versions translate as bruised or crushed uh, literally means to cleanse or to purify the idea of healing. Do you see how messed up we are? <laughs> do you see do you see how like something that seems uh, so little actually has huge implications for how we think of the heart of God? Okay, well, I'll continue in here in the book. As a pre-Christian translation, the Septuagint predates but also beautifully prefigures New Testament revelation of God's self-disclosure as the great physician in and through Jesus Christ. Okay, so this the Septuagint version uh, came before all these other versions and falls in line better with how God's how we are to think of God as the great physician that is Jesus Christ. Do you see how this line is so much better? The Lord wishes to cleanse him of his wound. Okay, so continuing on. How is it that God is seen to cleanse the wound of the suffering servant, especially if this figure refers to Jesus? And what is this wound? Aside from the obvious, raising Christ from the dead, we can see an atonement theology at work here that has nothing to do with retributive transaction. Yeah, because that's that's what um, kind of the the normal Christian thought is. It's what if you're not familiar with the term, it's called penal substitution or substitu substitutionary atonement theory, and that that is the big theological word for we believe that Jesus died for our sins on the cross to take our punishment from God, to take the wrath of God onto himself so that we may be set free. Okay, that's that's what he's talking about. But so he, uh, Brad says, Bradley, <laughs> Brad, we're on a first name basis. Yeah, I was talking with Brad the other day and just picking his brain about a few things. Uh, so he says, we can see an atonement theology here at, uh, at work here that has nothing to do with a retributive transaction. Rather, in his humanity, Christ takes on the wound of Adam, all the effects of the fall, and the Father cleanses the human race in the body of his Son, not through punishment, but through the healing touch of divine love. This perspective matters because, of a, because a gospel-informed translation into English perceives God as a divine healer rather than a cruel punisher. Let me read that again. This perspective matters because a gospel-informed translation, because a gospel-informed translation into English receives God as a divine healer rather than a cruel punisher. In other words, inspiration is about more than the Hebrew, Greek, or translated text. The inspiration of Scripture by, by the Spirit necessarily includes our understanding of the gospel and how this impacts our views of God. The same dynamic this same dynamic also affects our view of humanity and vice versa. Okay, so when people speak of God and they talk about who God is and what God is like, and um, especially people who maybe have been hurt by the church or have left the church or who have read the Old Testament and just see the violent nature of God, 
and all of the killings and the brutality. And it's like, oh, this book is so backwards and upside down. What's wrong with it? How can you believe in this God? And this God apparently is bipolar in the Old Testament. It's this. And in the New Testament, it's love. And what you see in a passage like this and what you see in these different translations is how we're a little bit off. And by a little bit off, I mean kind of like a, a lot off. That what this passage, Isaiah 53, speaks in the Septuagint, the translation that predates all other translations, is that the thinking, how, how the New Testament authors thought of the heart of God was not one of, was not a God who is a cruel punisher, but rather is a divine healer. Wow. Do you see? Do you see how much of a difference this may make for how we are to understand God? Do you see how when when we accept this idea of like the retributive transaction that a price must be paid, that God's wrath must be spilled? We send the wrong picture about the heart of God. We send the wrong picture about what God is like. God isn't, God isn't killing, punishing, murdering God's son, who, by the way, is God's self, so it's kind of a weird thought anyways. God is healing. He is cleansing. He is the physician. God is is healing the wounds, not inflicting them to satisfy his own wrath. Ugh. Wow. I mean, do you, do, you, do you see how great that is? This is like a whole new perspective, a whole new understanding. That is not a whole new understanding. This is actually like the original understanding. This is God's heart. The thing that we currently call God's heart, how we understand God's punishment, that's not God's heart. That's us imposing our thoughts and ideas on, of justice onto a divine being that we have missed who God really is. Okay, so that's God's heart. Let's move to the next little section, shall we? I mean, let's just get, let's get crazy with the cheese whiz here. You know what I'm talking about? Beastie boys, you're welcome. Okay. Okay, this is, we talked about God's heart. Now, your heart. Oh, man, this is so good. <laughs> okay, this is so good. Because, okay, uh, I'll get to that. Uh, your heart, deceitful or deep? Exhibit B. By the way, just on that, how would you answer that question based on your current understanding of God and humanity according to what you've been taught in church or the scriptures? Well, most people especially people that have a uh, that live with the concept and understanding of original sin i would think that they would suggest that our hearts are deceitful that our hearts are dark that our hearts are sinful something like that right so exhibit b exhibit b comes from <coughs> excuse me comes from jeremiah the prophet the verse in jeremiah Seven, uh, Jeremiah seventeen verse nine, which I'm, which I memorized as a young evangelical. Once again, 
we'll compare the King James, the NIV, and the ancient Septuagint. Okay, so here's Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's the King James. The NIV, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, I do love this bit because because of what he says here. He says this verse in uh, Jeremiah, which I memorized as a young evangelical. What's fascinating to me, and I may have mentioned this before, but there's a, there's a, a person I know that has told me on, on multiple occasions that this exact verse, Jeremiah 17, 9, is the very first verse that they memorized, that they were taught at their church when they were a young evangelical. What? Like, how crazy is that? What do you want your kids to know about God? What do you want your kids to know about themselves and how God created you to be? All right, Jimmy, uh, your heart is a liar. You, (laughs) your heart is deceitful above all things. And when I look at this, uh, how this person views life and God, it, it all kind of makes sense to me that this is the version of themselves and God that they were handed, like from the beginning. Here, here, little Billy, this is how you are, how God is. This is how life works. Well, if that's the very first thing you memorize from the Bible, what do you expect your life and your perspective of life to look like? Yeah. Okay. So King James, NIV, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, which by the way, what a terrible perspective. Now listen to the Septuagint here. Uh, The Septuagint says it this way, the Septuagint that predates these other versions that was written by the, some of these New Testament authors, translated by the New Testament authors, who would have been in sync, more in sync with the scriptures, because that's what they were raised on. That's what they had ingrained into them, right? The Torah, all these things. This is how they, they understand it. The heart is deep beyond all things, and it is the man. Whoa. Not the heart is deceitful. The heart is deep beyond all things. That's, this is a big one, isn't it? Okay, let me get, let me get back to his stuff. Because he's the smart one. I'm just like parroting and contributing here a little bit. So he says this. The first two translations perfectly matched and formed the low view of humanity of my Reformation heritage. Debauched, debased, and totally depraved. We came by our worm theology, honestly. Assured, even in early Sunday school, that our hearts, and everyone else's, were deceitful, desperately wicked, and beyond cure. One Christian elementary school in my area currently teaches its kindergarten students uh, five-year-old children, you have a dark heart. Oh my gosh. Are you like, can you imagine? In fact, you know, um, there was a, my kids, 
my kids switched schools a couple of years ago, but when they were going to our, uh, our, like our uh, normal public school, they, they had a program at the Baptist church next door and it, they would do like a little aftercare program. I think it was on like a Wednesday nights and oh, there's a specific name for this program. I forget what it's called that a, a lot of churches use. It's not just isolated to this church. It's, it's like a, it's like a national program. Um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank probably for the best because I've tried to forget about it, but my kids would go there and I thought at first, Oh, you know, it's, it's fine. It's harmless. They're getting to hang out with kids. They're still learning about the Bible. They're still learning about God. And then I remember I was asking them one night at the dinner table, like, hey, would would you guys learn in in the, it'll come to me maybe. Would you guys learn in, in the in your Bible class today? And I remember my kids at one point, I don't remember the exact words, it's been a couple of years, but like saying we we talked about how we're sinful. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, well, explain that to me. And they couldn't, they didn't really get much beyond that. But I just remember being like, oh my gosh, like, okay, I, I get that this is something that we struggle with, right? We make mistakes. We miss the mark. I understand that. But if the first thing you're teaching kids is that your heart is deceitful, that, uh, what does it say? That you have a dark heart, then you are handing them a a particular picture of the world and of themselves and of God that to me, I think is toxic and damaging. So when I, when I read them here, say this here about that school, I'm like, yeah, like, man, I, I don't, I don't want that to be my kid's first taste of God. I, I want my kids to see the beauty and the wonder and the awe of who God is. I want my kids to see the healing God, the physician God. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so let me continue. You could never, okay, you could never really trust your heart. Even if you prayed the prayer and Jesus exchanged your heart of stone for a new heart of flesh, this view imparted to us an early sense of cynicism and so distrust, especially of outsiders, with a thousand antidotes to prove the point. By dehumanizing humanity, we felt we had a better gospel to sell. Oh, by dehuman uh, de- by dehumanizing humanity, we felt we had a better gospel to sell. So, by making ourselves seem and feel worse and terrible and awful, then it validates, highlights, or elevates what we believe the gospel to be. Ah, oh, what a great line! And also, how sucky is that? <laughs> Uh, Okay, so he continues. But now compare this picture to the Septuagint. The heart is deep beyond all things, and it is the man. The human heart is indeed deep, complex, and truly wonderful. While we are complicated beings, a mysterious blend of nature, nurture, and coping mechanisms, the apostolic gospel was never what some call worm theology. Christ's mission embodied the message that the heart of every person on this planet is a priceless gift. Think of a diamond or a pearl. No matter how tarnished by life experiences or poor choices at heart, or by life experiences and poor choices at heart, we remain valuable beyond measure, beyond all measure. Who can know such depths? Who can retrieve and restore the priceless treasure of our true selves? 
this treasure is calculated by Christ's costly sacrifice of love. Uh, he goes on, um, the next time you make eye contact with another human being, look through their eyes to the depths of their heart, to the treasure that is their true self, and then look to the deep joy of Christ's adoring gaze. Leave behind the worm theology that judges another person's deepest heart as deceitful and desperately wicked. Value them as you would a priceless gem, because Jesus did. Oh, come on, everybody. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Can I get a what, what? So, man, this, this, I read this like, you know, like a week ago, and I've just been processing, processing, thinking through, like, just kind of at an all enamored, like, the heart is deep above all things. Yeah, we are extremely complex beings. It's like, what was it? There was a, I haven't quoted Ted Lasso in a minute. <laughs> so I, th- I was thinking today might be a good day to bring one up. Um, there's a, there was a line in one of the episodes. They keep bringing up like little girls. And, and Ted Lasso says, uh, he says, little girls are mysterious and silly and powerful. I gave up trying to figure them out years ago. <laughs> little girls are mysterious and silly and powerful. I gave up trying to figure them out years ago. By the way, I'm realizing this now more and more how true that statement is with my 10-year-old daughter. Ay, that's a different story. So, uh, people are complex. The heart is deep. We can, the heart is so deep, we can simultaneous, simultaneously carry, like, things that are at odds with each other at the same time. Um, like, for example, I, uh, I just did a sermon the other couple, I don't know, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, a week ago, about and and happened to mention there was some of the there was a neo Nazi uh, like rally thing, like not too far from where our church is, and uh, I was talking about how ridiculous it was first of all, but also how on one hand I'm very I get very angry at that because of the ignorance, but on the other hand, I also get a bit sad, like I because. They've created a prison of hate for themselves, and they're seeing the world through such a limited, limited understanding. There's, there's this ignorance that makes me both very angry and very sad, and I'm carrying that at the same time. It's not one of the, the heart is deep. The heart is complex. The, like, man. And so I think it's just so, so wonderful, so beautiful that this scripture is not talking about how terrible humanity is. And granted, I get there's a lot of bad stuff and a lot of bad people. But this sets a different starting point. The heart is deep beyond all things. Yes. Yes, it is. There's a lot going on. I feel all kinds of emotions. I, 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 I wrestle with things. I, I do, what's Paul say? I, I, do uh, what's the thing? I don't understand what I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Yeah, it's not because he the heart is deceitful. It's because it's deep, and you and you're and you're and you're trying to carry these things all at the same time. Like this is, paints a completely different picture of how we are to understand ourselves and how are we to think of others. So this is this entirely new understanding 
that is not an entirely new understanding. This is a new understanding to us that is how the authors of the New Testament would have been understanding humanity and God. That God is not the punisher, that God is not the one who brings the wrath, who has to kill or murder his son, who is himself in order to offer forgiveness. That God is the healer, the physician. How did, how did um, our bud Bradley J here say? He says, the father cleanses the human race in the body of his son, not through punishment, but through the healing touch of divine love. Yeah. Uh, God is a divine healer rather than cruel punisher. Yes. So think about what this does for our perspective of life. And this, by the way, he goes on to a whole, the whole bit about wrath, like specifically where verses that talk about the wrath of God and how um, he talks about how in the, in the Septuagint, the phrase of God isn't in there. It's just that Jesus saves us from the wrath. And he talks about how the wrath isn't God's wrath. It's actually our own wrath that we are saved from. It's, it's kind of mind-boggling. Boggling. It's a bit more complex. Um, maybe we'll talk about it some later date. But uh, just with these two things, think about how this changes our perspective. Think about what this should open us up to. God is healer. Uh, our hearts are deep. <laughs> God is punisher. And we suck. So therefore, we are deserving of punishment. And when we understand, you know, I, I, over the past several years, I've had many people leave the church. And underneath the myriad of reasons uh, I've heard or they've said to me, a lot of it always seems to come back to, uh, if I could paraphrase or put words in their mouth, well, you don't talk enough about condemnation or hell, or God's wrath. Like, that's that's kind of like this underlying message that people who left the church wanted me to talk, that I don't talk enough about that. Well, <laughs> I think I've uh, found some pretty good grounds to stand on based on this, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So think about how this opens us up to rethinking God, our hearts, our perspective on life. Yeah, it, it, it changes. It's a bit of a game changer. God's heart, your heart. It's healing. It's deep. That's who, that's how, that's who God is. That's how he created us to be. Th this should begin to give us a new perspective. It should, I mean, really, when you take this and you start to read through all the scriptures like this, what you will see is um, the God that most people were handed in their churches growing up isn't actually the God of the Bible, which is uh, is why I love that phrase um, from, uh, was it Meister Eckhart, where he says, uh, where he says, I pray that God rids us of God. Yeah, because whatever this thing is that we think we're worshiping, this God that we've created primarily more in our own image than in God's own image, I don't think it actually has a strong representation of the of who God actually is. So anyways, all that to say, I hope this is, is helpful to you. I hope that if you're on some sort of journey or you're questioning, or maybe this is causing you to question, okay, great. Like God is so much bigger and better and more loving than we've ever allowed our minds to think of him or them.
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. At least to me. At least to me. That's a, this is a big one. Heart is deep above all things. You are a complex being. It's okay. You're not always going to get it right sometimes. And when you don't get it right, guess what? God's there to heal, to cleanse, to purify, not to punish and destroy. So take heart. Have hope. Enjoy life. See the good. Because it's all around us. All right, my friends. This has been episode number 40, or no, 60. And God's heart, your heart, and I'm not so new understanding. Oh, what a beautiful thing. Mom, thanks for listening. I hope that I hope that you continue to have a great day. I hope that you'll be open to maybe a new, potentially new perspective, which is an old perspective of who God is. Maybe rather than the God you've been handed. Uh, sending you guys all the love in your general direction. We'll talk to you later.